Good morning. If you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. We're so glad you're here. This is the time during our service when we take time to worship the Lord by hearing from his word. And so we take significant time to preach and hear from God's holy word. And we are starting today a special season, and that is the season of Advent, which is the four Sundays before Christmas. And we take those four Sundays to anticipate and highlight uh, the, the coming of Jesus and what we celebrate at Christmas, the birth of our Messiah, God in the flesh come down. And so over the course of these four Sundays, you'll hear from each of us four pastors a message on light in the darkness as we celebrate the season of Advent. Now, if you hear that word Advent, you may be thinking, what does that mean? That's, that's not a word that we use that often, but Advent, the word, means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And in the church calendar, what we're looking forward to, what we're celebrating is the arrival of Jesus Christ, the most notable human to ever live. And that's what we're looking forward to. And so we're going to look at that over this, these coming weeks. That's interesting as we were talking about this and kind of thinking about it back in September. It was early September and Pastor Mark uh, asked if I would be able to preach on December uh, 3rd today because he and Stephanie, it's their anniversary this week and so they were going to be away. And so he had asked me and I had put it on my calendar back in early September, long before uh, any of the transition uh, came about. And as we talked about at that time, the theme of light in darkness, a passage of scripture came to my mind right away, and that is the passage of scripture, First uh, John chapter 1 and verse 5. And so I had that kind of in my mind. And then about a month ago, when Pastor Mark, you know, when things were worked out and, and you know, we had the plan and, and last Sunday was going to be his last Sunday, we were talking about it. And he said, you know, I feel like I'm going to uh, preach a message out of, uh, my final message, um, out of First John. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And he said, chapter one. And I thought, oh, I wonder what uh, verses he's going to be preaching on. And he said, chapter one, verses one through four. And so I just want to share that because I see God's hand in that, and I'm definitely not smart enough to plan this kind of thing, but God has planned it for us. And so as we prepare to look forward to um, this, this Christmas season and hearing from God's word, let's pray together and just ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you for the way you lead us. Thank you for the way that you provide for us. And we thank you for the gift of your word. As we turn to it now, Spirit of God, would you illuminate it to us? that we would be changed by hearing from you, that we would humble ourselves before you. And Lord, as these truths, as we speak about them, would they really be embedded in our hearts, that as we go out, we would leave changed, and we would love you more and serve you better. And so we ask this blessing upon this time in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I love this season. I love the lights and the trees and the anticipation of Christmas. But one of the things that I don't like about this season is that it seems like in this season, every day, about 10 o'clock at night, I'm surprised to realize that it's actually six o'clock <laughs> because the darkness comes so early. And that's, that's one of my least favorite things about this season. 
But as we have this season of kind of darkness around us and cold and all those kind of things, it's great to have lights and trees and all kinds of baked goods and all of those things that we celebrate and warm wishes and family and all of those things that help us kind of, you know, the, the Christmas lights in the darkness, it kind of brightens things a little bit. But in this season, the question is, what is our hope in this season of darkness? What is the message of hope for this season? Why do we have a reason to celebrate even in times of darkness? If you would turn with me to John chapter uh, to 1 John chapter 1 and we're going to look at verse 5. So 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. And God's word says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. As we turn to this passage of scripture, the first thing that we see here is that he starts with the message. There's a message. And the first word is this, this message. Now that this is pointing forward. So he's announcing, he's saying, we're going to, I'm going to talk about something and what is it? He's going to give us that message. It points forward. Now, John has already set this up. Uh, he set it up in, in the previous four verses, which Pastor Mark preached on last week. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that message online. But it, he sets it up already in those first few verses. So I want to kind of do just a little recap and look at verses one and two of chapter one. And it says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So John is saying, the one who we have seen, the one who we have heard, the one who we've touched. And so the question is, who is the who? Who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about Jesus, the one from the beginning. This life, as he calls it, from the beginning, which is Jesus Christ. And that's who this is about. And he says, we have this message about him. Now, John, this is the Apostle John. This is John who was one of Jesus' disciples, who walked with Jesus, as he said. He, so when he says, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him, he's, that's not figurative, that's literal. He literally walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, talked with Jesus, lived with him. They, he saw him, he touched him, and that's what he's saying. This is, this is one who was an eyewitness to Jesus' earthly ministry. And more than that, John, the disciple, was chosen by Jesus. Jesus picked him and then commissioned him, along with the others, to be his witness, to be the one who would share his message. We could call it an emissary. John, the apostle, was an emissary of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus. So don't miss this, because this is really important. Jesus handpicked John and others to be his apostles, to bear his message. So what they heard, they proclaimed. That's what a messenger does, right? That's what an emissary does. If they're, they're carrying out the message, they heard the message from Jesus and they pass it on to others. 
And that's what he says. If we look back there, this is the message we heard from him, from Jesus. And then he says, and we proclaim to you. So there's a message that they heard from Jesus, and they proclaim to the people John was writing to, and to us through God's word. So he saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, he talked to Jesus, the one who was from the beginning, God himself, and Jesus chose John to be his witness, to be his messenger, and he said, this is the message. This is what he taught us. This is what we saw. This is what he said. This is the message of Jesus. Now, this is really important for us to understand and not miss, because this time of year, inevitably, there will be articles in magazines and in the newspaper. There will be panel discussions on television news, and they'll have people sit around, and they'll say, you know, it's the season of Christmas. Christians are celebrating Jesus, and they'll say, you know, we don't really know who Jesus was. We don't know what Jesus said. We can't really know. Some people say this, and some people say that, and isn't, you know, at the end, we just don't know. And you'll probably hear this. It's likely. It happens every year at this time. Don't fall for that silliness. Because it's silly. Because we do know Jesus' message. We have it. Because he picked these guys and he said, this is my message. I'm sending you out with my message. You can't say, we don't know what Jesus said. These guys just kind of invented it. Because they were his chosen messengers. It would be like, you know, sometimes in the news, there's like a local story that's really, you know, kind of big news. Maybe something happens, you know, somebody gets, has a traumatic situation and it's a big local news story. And so everybody's asking the family, you know, like, what's going on? How did this happen? You know, a house burns down and, you know, what people are trying to help the family or whatever. And, and the family is kind of overwhelmed with people. And so they appoint a trusted member of the family to be the spokesman for the family. And they say, you know, they go stand in front of the camera and say, here's, here's the, the message from the family. You know, thank you for your support in this time and da, 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 you know, those kind of things. It would be silly to hear a message like that and say, yeah, but that's what that guy thought. You know, I want to know what the family really said. That is what they really said. That's their message. And that's what John is saying. This is the message. He doesn't say, this is my message. We made it up. This is the message of Jesus Christ. They saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They touched Jesus. And they proclaim it to us. This is... You could say the gospel according to John distilled down into one sentence. And what is that message? What is it that he says there? The message is this. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Now we're going to look at this in depth but let's stop here for a second and just think about that. Isn't that a bit surprising? I mean, there's John. He wrote the whole gospel of John. But here he's distilling it down into what he's saying. This is the message. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. And this is the message. And he says, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. That is a little bit surprising, I think. I don't know if, you know, if you imagine, okay, if you'd walked with Jesus all those years, you heard all his teaching and all of that, is that how we would summarize his message? But that's how John summarizes it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so let's take some time to think about that. What is it, why is this what John writes for us? 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Well, let's look at a couple of things. The first thing to notice, we think about the message of hope, is first and foremost a message about God. The Lord himself is our reason to celebrate even in times of darkness. Notice it starts with God. Don't miss this. When he, when he starts, this is the message we heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. The first words there, the first word is God. The message is first and foremost about God. So what John heard and saw, what they got from Jesus is primarily about God. It's a message about him. It's not primarily about us. Now, we have to just stop and recognize that because we don't really like that. As human beings, as sinful human beings, we like us. We like to be focused on us. We're selfish. But the message that Jesus brought is first and foremost not about me or about you. It's not about us. And strictly speaking, it is not, hear this clearly, it is not a message first and foremost about our salvation. That would be about us. It is first and foremost a declaration about God. Now, it has implications for our salvation. It's what allows our salvation. But Jesus brought a message, which John heard and proclaims to us. And that message is about the nature of God. That's what we need. We need to know who is God and what is he like. And that's the message. We have a message that tells us what God is like, who he is. The starting point of hope, the starting point of the message of the gospel is God. God himself. That's really important for us to get clear and correct. And it's significant, really, for two reasons. One, when we start with God, it locates God in his proper place. What is that place? First place. The place of preeminence. That's where God should be. God should never be lower than us. He's not. But sometimes in our mind, we kind of go, oh yeah, God's kind of here and I'm kind of up here a little bit. Maybe we're equals. I don't know. God is preeminent. And we're always getting this wrong. As human beings, always, always, always getting that wrong. We're always elevating ourselves and we're always bringing God down. That's our natural tendency. We're subtly bringing God's, God down, even sometimes in our presentation of the gospel. When we present the message of the gospel, we locate the focus on ourselves, on humanity. When the focus, the starting point is God himself, not us. You realize the gospel is not, you can be saved. What's the first word of that sentence? You. If we start with you, we start with me, we've started incorrectly. Now, you can be saved is a result of the gospel. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying you can't be saved. It is a result of the gospel. It is a result of who God is. If God were not who he was, who he is, we could not be saved. If Christ had not done what he had done, we could not be saved. The starting point for the message of hope is God, not me. So it puts God in his proper place. The gospel is Christ died for our sins. What's the first word there? Christ, God himself. Subtle, but notice the difference between those two things. Because Christ died for us, we can be saved. 
But the gospel is not primarily about us. We need to remember that. The message of hope is primarily about God. Which leads us to the second reason this is significant, because starting with God provides actual hope. Because it's not contingent or dependent. If the gospel is about me, if it's about us, if that's the starting point, it's not really hope. Because it's contingent on me. And let me tell you, I can very easily fail. I can very easily forget. I can very easily be wrong. And all of us can. But the starting point is God. And he is never wrong. And he never fails. And so it is actual hope. Because it's not contingent. It's not dependent on anything but God who is independent. And truly so. Think about it. God is the great I am. The eternal God. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The self-existent one. The life from the beginning. That's who God is. He doesn't need anybody. He never has. He never will. He is there and he exists. So a message of hope rooted in anything else would be contingent. It would be dependent. And that's not really hope. That's just wishful thinking. And let me just say, there's a lot of wishful thinking at Christmas time. You know, it's, oh, the magic of the season and everything is merry and bright. That's incredibly contingent, right? Have you ever had a Christmas where things were not merry and bright in your life? Maybe you're like, yes, right now. That's just wishful thinking. Well, I hope everyone's healthy and happy and together and there's no arguments and everything's great and the tree is perfect and the lights stay on and the house doesn't... That's great and I hope those things happen for you. But that's not real hope. That's just wishful thinking because how often does it happen? It's not... This Christmas season, it's not about merriness and wishful thinking because your Christmas season may go terribly. Let's just be honest. I hope it doesn't, but tomorrow you could get that notice. Boss calls you into their office and says, I'm sorry, but you've lost your job. You may get the test results back. Positive, you have cancer. That stuff happens. What we need is hope that is not contingent on our circumstances. It's not focused on us, but it is focused on God who doesn't change and God who is always there. Imagine you were lost, alone, in a dark mine. You know, you found yourself there. There's no light. There's nothing around. You're just lost. It's hopeless. If you were in that situation and you could have one of two options, you could have a voice tell you, you're great. You've got this. Or you could have light. Which would you pick? I don't know about you. I hope you would pick the right one. You, would, you want light. You don't need some great, oh, wishful. I send you happy thoughts in the midst of your deep, dark mind. We need light. We need something outside of us to guide us, to show us what is true. That is what God is. This is the good news in general. God is the good news in general. He is also the good news this season. It's not about us. Not about your circumstances or warm wishes or the joy of the season. This is good news because it is about God. He is unchanging, unchallenged, and unshakable. God is the good news for your life today and your life tomorrow. 
And as believers in Jesus, we can hang our hopes and stake our life upon our God. That's the message of hope. So the message is first and foremost about God. Secondly, the message of hope is that God is light. God is good. And that's our reason to celebrate even in darkest times. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So that leads to a question. We say, God is light. What is light? Now, when I ask that question, and when John brings this up, we're not talking about, you know, thinking about it like physics. You know, like the question of, is light a wave or a particle? That's not what we're talking about. John is using light as a metaphor, as a symbol to describe a spiritual reality. He's describing the nature of God. And so what does John mean, inspired by the Holy Spirit, these are the very words of God, what does John mean when he says light? God is light. I mean, it's easy to say, but what does it mean? I want to highlight three things that, that kind of help us understand what light is. Now, this is John. John also, he wrote uh, the, the letters 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but he also wrote the Gospel of John. And so we can look at that and kind of see what he's talking about. But the first thing is that light is characteristic of life. It's interesting when you read this, this first, the first five verses, that you see John closely connects in his writing life and light. So light is characteristic of life. And you see that in 1 John 1, 1 and 2. The life was, man made, was made manifest, that life which was from the beginning. And then he's, in verse 5, he starts talking about light. So life and light. But also, if we look at the Gospel of John, so flip over to the Gospel of John in your Bible if you want to, and um, I'm going to look at the first couple of verses there, verses 1 to 4. So this is also John writing again by the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, that is Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. So again, this life and light situation. What's interesting there is he says life, the life of God, this life from the beginning was the light of men. Now he's not talking about this is our light as men. It's light to men. God's light to us is characteristic of life. Life bringing light. God is life and God is light. Interesting that in the gospel of John, two things that Jesus says about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I am the light of the world. So life and light are connected. Jesus is the life from the beginning. Therefore, Jesus is the light. So that's the first thing that we can see characterized about light. The second thing that light is, or light does, is it illuminates. Light reveals evil for what it is and overcomes darkness. So again, continuing the Gospel of John, chapter 1, look at the next verse, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, the light overcomes the darkness. That's what it does. It reveals sin and darkness for what they are, and it overcomes them. If you go back to 1 John, the letter of 1 John, and look at, Chapter 3 and verse 8. 
John mentions something very specific. I'm just going to read the second part of this. Where he says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What is, what is John talking about here when he's talking about the light? You have to realize, Jesus came not only to save you from your sins. Jesus came to destroy sin. To destroy the works of the devil. Because they bring death and destruction. So yes, Jesus saves us from our sins, but he's also coming to destroy sin. That's what life does. That's what light does. Now there's hope. Sin utterly destroyed. And that's what our Savior has done, is doing, and will do. Destroy sin. My grandma used to watch, she watched the nightly news every day. And she'd watch the news, and then when I, she'd say to me, why can't there just be peace in the world? Why can't people just get along? And I would say to her, I said, Grandma, one day there will be peace in the world. One day sin will come to an end. The glory of the Lord will shine through the whole earth and the light of Christ will put an end to sin and war and death and there will be peace and justice forevermore. Amen. That's what's coming. That's what the light coming into the world symbolizes. And so I hope this Christmas season, as you drive around, you know, 10 o'clock tonight when you find out it really is only 6 o'clock, and you look out and you see the Christmas lights, Think about the light that is coming. The light of the world has come into the world. But he's coming again. You know, Advent season has kind of two layers. There's the layer where we look to the past and we think about those in the past who are looking forward to the first coming of Christ when he was born. God made flesh. So they were looking forward and we look back to that. But the second layer of it is the layer that we are looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And it won't be like the first. The glory of the Lord will shine from east to west. And God will put an end to darkness forever. So when you see those little lights, think about the light that is coming. Sin will be brought to an end. That's what light does. It illuminates the darkness. It destroys the darkness. One other thing that light is, what it represents, it is moral purity or goodness or righteousness, that which is right. So if you notice in, in 1 John chapter 1, right after verse 5, I'm not going to go into these, but he starts in, in verse 6 talking about sin, walking in darkness. And you see that's what he's really getting at. So the meaning of that is light equates to righteousness, goodness, and purity. God is righteous. God is morally pure. And notice what it says here. It doesn't say God has light. That's not the message. The message is not that God shines light. The message is God is light. God, by his nature, who he actually is, God is the determination of what is good. In himself, God determines what is right and what is good. God is righteous. In the city of Boulder, Colorado, there's the National Institutes of Standards and Technology. 
And in that office building, there exists an atomic clock, which is the standard defining clock for what time it actually is in the U.S. You know what I mean? Well, I have a clock on my phone. That's fine. But that's not the standard. The standard is this atomic clock that exists in Boulder, Colorado, and that's what determines what is the actual correct time. And your variation from that is what's wrong. That is the standard. It's the same with God. The definition of morality is not what I think or what you think. It's God himself. He is pure and righteous and good. So those are a couple of things that help us understand what light is. God is light. As you think about this, I was reminded of a quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, the great author and theologian. And he said this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun that has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. You know, and I think John is saying we could say that about God. He said, I believe in God because I have seen him and by him I see everything else. That's the message. That's the point. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The thing for us is not to miss it. Now, when I moved here two years ago, you know, when you move somewhere new, people ask you, oh, where are you from? You say, yeah, I just moved here. And then they inevitably ask the question, do you like it here? And so I've had a lot of people ask me that. I was at a doctor's appointment a year ago and having that conversation. He said, yeah, do you like it here? And I said, yeah, it's really nice. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, it is. Like, should I not like it here? And he's like, well, what do you like about it? I said, well, it's so beautiful. The mountains and the streams and all this natural beauty. And he was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're kind of right. I just kind of forgot about that. He's like, I'm from here. You know, I don't really think about it now. I thought it was ironic because I was actually the eye doctor. (laughs) And I'm like... But I, and so I thought, you know, I don't ever want to lose seeing the natural beauty around here because it is beautiful. But that's how I think we can be as Christians. We're just like, oh, yeah, God is here. You know, we love God. But we miss the incredible beauty of the light of God and who he is. And so the message really for this is don't miss it. Don't, become so, don't let it just become so normal that we forget who our God is. You know, I think as a church, through this transition, I'm just amazed by how God has worked. And I think the reason things have been going so well is because we have been led by Pastor Mark, and we have been a church who has kept our focus on God. Not on the lead pastor, not on the church, but on God. Let's continue to do that. If we continue to do that, things will be well. Don't miss it. Don't forget it. Behold our God. I love the songs that we sang already this morning. Behold who God is. Don't miss it. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Third, the message of hope is that in God there is no darkness at all. God is totally, utterly good with absolutely no downside. And that's the reason to celebrate in times of darkness. Total, utter, moral purity. Hear this. There is no dark side or hidden motive in God. None. 
If you step back and think about this statement, you know, God just said, or John just said of God, God is, is light. And so this statement that in him there is no darkness at all is kind of redundant, right? And when we saw by that, John means moral purity. Well, what is purity? You know, that includes perfection, right? So if something is, is pure, then it's, it's only pure if it's totally pure, right? You can't just say something is pure if it's mostly pure. So if somebody sells you honey, pure honey, 5% water, right? That doesn't work. So it's only if he is pure, he is totally pure. So John doesn't really need to say, in God there is no darkness at all. He doesn't need to say that. But he does say it. Why does he say it? Why does Scripture say that? Why does the Holy Spirit tell us that? Well, often those things come up for emphasis. He's trying to emphasize it so that we don't miss it. Imagine that. Right? There's lots of things we might miss. So it's emphasized in Scripture. It's repeated in Scripture. This is one of those things that we might miss. We need to be reminded of it. Why is this important? Because it's hard for us to grasp. There is not one tiny bit, no hidden thing, no darkness, no ulterior motive, no flaw, no weakness, no room for improvement. And this is so hard for us to embrace and wrap our minds around because we've never experienced that in any relationship. None of us can say that about ourselves. None of the relationships we've had have been that way. In all of our relationships, even the best ones, we have flaws and imperfections and sins and ulterior motives. It's hard for us to grasp that because we've never related to anyone else who is perfect like God. I think it's also hard for us to grasp this in our society today because we've become so cynical. We're cynical because of the things that happen in the world around us. We have deceptive politicians We have advertisements that they just want our money. We have technology that secretly steals our information from us. And so we all, maybe rightly so, we become cynical. But the message here is as believers in God, we have to fight against cynicism. Because it will give us a false perspective of God. God is not like any of those things. God is not good to you to try to get something from you. There's not, you know, some, oh, terms and conditions. I didn't read. I just checked the box, and now I find out, yeah, okay, there was a, you know, there was a fine print. God is not like that. Everything he is, everything he says, everything he does is 100% through and through good and perfect and right. In him, there is no darkness at all. The thing for us is the struggle of belief. To believe in this, to trust this, to get our minds around it, to think about it, to grasp onto it, to hold onto it. God has only ever been perfectly good to you. That's what God's word says. I know it's hard to believe. It's hard to wrap our minds around. I wrestle with this just like you do. So I want you to think. Think about your life. Think about your past. You say, okay, past things in your life that come to mind. Big things. Good things, bad things, whatever they are. Now, some of you are going to like this. Some of you are going to hate this example. But think about a spreadsheet. And you put all the events of your life in one column. And then the next column you have, has God been good to you, yes or no? So just think. I want you to think through things, events. Maybe it's things in this week. Maybe you look at the highlights, the top ten things of your life. In the final accounting... 
The column is going to say, is God, has God been good to you in your life? It's going to say, yes, 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 all the way down. In him, there is no darkness at all. That's the truth. Now we just have to wrestle to believe it, to grasp it. Don't miss it. God has only ever been good to us. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. You know what this means? This means that nobody is going to be able to justify themselves before God. You know, some people say, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a thing or two to tell God. No, you aren't. (laughs) I don't know if there's spreadsheets in heaven. I'll let you resolve that question. But every single one of those is going to be yes, 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 yes. No one will have a word to say. You know the other thing that that means? It means that not one time has God just decided to mess with you, just for fun. You know, he's never done that. He's never forgotten you. He's never overlooked you. He's never just been, well, I'm busy with something else. I thought, you know, I don't really care about you that much. Not one time in your life. God is good. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. May the Spirit of God grant us the strength to believe that. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you. You are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. Glory to your name. You're amazing. You're wonderful. We fall down and worship you. Thank you that you are the one true God and you will rule and reign. We worship you. We praise you. We pray all of this in that name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.